The Digital Salon is a curation of listening experiences produced by the alumni and affiliated members of the Urban Humanities Initiative at UCLA. Even as urban space reinvents the enclosure, season two seeks out collectives situated in the city. If our first season asked how the pandemic is a portal, in our second we asked how, within such a time, can we gather? And what do we share? In this podcast that we call Collective, we tune into the knowledge that communal work transmits in polyvocal frequencies and interlocking scales. We're your hosts. I'm Gus Wendell. And I'm Jacqueline Barrios. And for our 10th episode, Bangkok-based interior architect, researcher, and bread baker Martha Quicksala casts a collective of home bread makers that emerged in the COVID-19 pandemic in, as she calls it, a story of bread in three acts. During the pandemic, millions of people turned to homebred baking, rendering it an adaptational strategy. This surge surpassed a simple sentiment for the necessity and transcended into a planetary scale community connecting different entities. The crisis created apertures in everyday life, allowing many to lean onto the emergence of the now and to seek for ways to be agile. Furthermore, it laid bare how alienated we are from food production processes and at the same time shed a new light on global food waste. The bread matter allowed many to recognize the notion of interconnectedness and deepened the understanding of reciprocity. I live in Thailand, and when Bangkok went into lockdown, I baked my first sourdough bread. At the time, I was unaware it was a global trend, which I only realized after seeing all these articles popping up. By accident, I was incorporated into this worldwide community. A community where I could recognize myself and others through our shared goal. I started reaching out to Thai bakers to try to grasp and understand these emerging models of kinship through mutuality of bread. My name is Patkanapon Tanjanpong, but don't worry, you can't pronounce that. People just call me Chef Ning. I am a pastry chef by profession, and I own uh, my own bakery. And moreover, I also teach baking workshop. So when you talk about interdependence, I also see um, this relationship between me and my students. Because most people used to ask me, like, you also have a cafe, you have a bakery, and you also teach people how to bake. And these people ended up opening a cafe. So therefore, you are building your own competitors. So that's how they look at it. But that's totally different than, than how I see things. I told them like, like how many cafes are there in, in Chiang Mai? 
there are over a thousand. I can choose to see those guys as my competitors or my alliance. And I choose the latter because that's better for me. And it's also like helped me grow as a person. I, I would like to think of myself as helping out Chiang Mai as a whole to develop a better eating culture. <laughs> and uh, I, don't see, I don't see my students as my future competitor at all. More like my friends in the same profession because we all together are helping each other building Chiang Mai, a better place for customer in general. And sure, you can, if you want to look at business as a battle, Sure, it could be a battle, but by helping making your, your competitors better, you make the battle more interesting. You don't have to compete, cutting on cost. You don't have to make the market so, so red and everybody just lose from it. But instead of competing with price, you help each other get better and you're competing on creativity. You're competing on creating better recipe, creating something that is better off for you yourself as a creator and better for the consumer in general. And that's, that's Chiang Mai that I want to see. And I want to be part of that city. In Thailand, a large share of conversations revolve entirely around food. And it's a fertile ground for all kinds of gastronomic ventures. The country is one of the world's major rice exporters. Therefore, by default, rice and noodles are the staples in most households. But people also eat a wide variety of bread, which has gained popularity over the last few decades. Due to high demand and unfavorable climate conditions, wheat is the largest imported grain in the country. Bread in Thailand, I mean like in Asian countries in particular, are not exactly the same as um, bread in the Western culture, for sure. Because here in Asia, people think of bread as part of dessert. Like, so you will see, you will find a lot of sweet bread in Asian countries, more than like the artisan crusty bread here, because people think of bread as sweet. And, but the trends are changing, like more and more the people are open to try new things and like the crusty bread and even sourdough are gaining popularity even in Thailand, especially after the pandemic. Learning a skill is a luxury not everyone can afford. There are many kinds of privileges. For some, it may be access to clean water. For others, it means not living in a food desert. It may be the internet connection and comfortable home. For lockdown bakers, the most precious asset is time. Baking bread is about investing into something that can't be enjoyed right away. And because of that, it's inextricably linked with the hope 
that tomorrow is going to come. It has certain qualities that made it so popular amidst pandemic activities. It allows to become more observant and to stay present. It's soothing, therapeutic and meditative. It gives a sense of control and accomplishment. It provides creative and productive outlets. It's nourishing, comforting, warm, and self-sustaining. First of all, I think resilience is not, it's not trade, it's more of a skill. It's something that you build over time. It's what you teach yourself to bounce back better and faster every time you fail, every time you face difficulty. So yeah, it's definitely a skill. And I see bread baking is a tool to, to build resilience. It's not the kind of thing that you can succeed in the first trial. <laughs> if you bake bread, you understand that you're dealing with yeast, a living um, organism. So there will be so many failures before success. So each and every time you face those failures and you decide that you are going to keep pushing and keep trying and coming back from that failure and keep striving, that Every time you do that, you kind of like build this, uh, build more and more resilience for yourself. And bread baking is a great tool for that. Like legions of others around the world stuck in quarantine, Thais adopted the power of bread baking as a pandemic survival blueprint. This movement accelerated the aggregation of knowledge about bread baking in Thai and attracted those for whom the language was a barrier before. These online communities associate tens of thousands of people, showcasing their work, exchanging recipes and techniques, troubleshooting, and sharing support. It's also a channel for those who turn this hobby into a business. People sell their home-baked goods in the streets, through Instagram accounts, and some even end up opening storefronts, leaving their old jobs altogether. We have so many Facebook group, Facebook, Facebook community um, about bread, desserts, and even sourdough. So yeah, I think these communities are great for amateur as well as professional. You can sharpen your skill and you can, you can gain a lot of help from, from nice people who are interested in the same thing. Everything that you learn in, in, in the colder climates doesn't apply here. You have to tweak every little thing. And it could be very, very challenging for, for someone who has been baking all their life in a cold country. And when they move to Thailand, they, they will be very frustrated in like, I have been carrying this starter with me from America. How come it just doesn't work anymore here? Like the, the same method I've been repeating for over a decade doesn't work anymore. They'll be very, very frustrated. And like, it all comes down to, very hot and humid climate of Thailand. Every, every baking community group has similar attributes to it. Like there are a lot of people who love the same thing and are willing to contribute. But I think the, the very distinct um, difference between like the, the Western community group and the Thai community group is that sourdough bread is such uh, a novelty here and like you said yourself like it's so hard to find resources like you you don't know 
where to go to. There are very few um, helpful resources out there. So you have to rely heavily on um, these community to actually like to to learn new things and to like helping each other perfecting the art. You will find people in the Thai community group very helpful because we are relying heavily on exchanging knowledge here. And probably because of that, the Thai culture is very much family oriented. You actually call a person by their nickname and starting with sister or brother. And with that feelings, with that energy, you feel relatable to everyone. Like you, you feel like you're helping out your sister, you know, not a stranger. The abundance that springs from social relationships is undeniable. In March, I hosted an online workshop during which we made flatbreads together. The flatbread is very symbolic because it all began with a flatbread. It is the most ancient kind of bread, a true ambassador. It used to be prepared before humans came up with this idea to harness the power of wild yeast and ferment the dough, allowing it to bloom. Our recipe loosely resembled that ancient flat disk. It served as a metaphor for the whole bread universum. It represented the origins of food, the source. We shared this convivial practice of communal bread making while weaving stories about communities revolving around bread and food politics. The element of sharing, because you might have um, different bits and pieces that, that you can order or cook for yourself, but then the bread is something that usually comes in a loaf and, uh, and you cut it and you, and you share it. And my mom always used to say that the best bread, uh, the bread becomes more tasty when you actually like cut it by hand, like uh, kind of tear it apart by hand because it goes into those pieces that, that it's kind of constructed of. And just a few days ago, she was telling me a story how when they were children and living in, in a small village in, in Kazakhstan, um, they were uh, uh, preschool kids and their nearby Uyghur family were, were making this tandoor bread that the first portion would always go to children and there were like 20 kids. So all the kids would receive a small uh, kind of a flat bread that, yeah, hot and, and crispy. It's one of the best memories. Having this thing that you are in control of, you, you are making this from beginning to end, whatever comes out at the end, you're responsible for, you made that. Um, so that, that sense of, of control, of agency, even if it's just something as small as baking bread, can have a really meaningful impact on, on your mental well-being.
So to me, that's something really profound in, in a time when there, outside, outside of that, there's really so little control. Imagine if you are like trying to bake a bread and for, for a number of times it doesn't work. <laughs> You're like closed, uh, locked down at home, like following the instruction and the temperature. Some, uh, something goes off and you're like constantly trying to like again and again and it never comes out the way that you expect. I think in that sense, maybe that's why the communities, I mean, social media is great for that. So even in, even in failure, you're probably not the only one so there's even community in in that like effort to to like learn from what went wrong and try and try again so that like spontaneous community that emerged around bread is really fascinating that's about the interconnectedness that's knowing that that your neighbors can bake bread and are willing to make the bread and you can grow uh lettuce <laughs> and then you share so this is this is what it is because we cannot do everything on our own so essentially that that division of labor division of skills but also the awareness of of our, our other people's skills and needs and what you can provide that's part of that the skill sharing the knowledge sharing for uh, in situations of disasters that's one of the like that's the key to, to survival of the community. You have to know what other people are willing or um, are, yeah, could contribute and what you can contribute in the case of uh, hazard and disaster. So I think that's something, yeah, we will go more and more towards in the future because that's also already a matter of survival. <laughs> these brown, quiet thrills of baking bread, I find myself building resilience through care and awareness. Looking after a sourdough starter means alignment and tending to life. It means tapping into a different notion of time and commitment. I feed my microbial collaborators they feed me in return. It's a form of mutual care and deep multi-species entanglement. It's commensality at its finest. After all, we are bonding over this shared meal. Wow, what's the black bread? The black bread is a 100% rye flour bread with charcoal, uh, with charcoal wow. and some Honey. So it's a carbon negative. Oh wow. Carbon negative bread because charcoal. <laughs> it's actually offsetting charcoal. Carbon. It's literally offsetting carbon. How many? I don't know how, how many, many grams, grams but carbon. it will also take into account the rye that was used for the yeah. yeah. We don't need any other carbon solutions, just Marta. It's bread. Uh, yeah, basically <laughs> all bread goes black. That would have been such an easy project. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why is nobody doing that? Oh, I know. Amazing.
It's very dense because I made it with a starter discard, so it's not leavened. Is this my glass? No, that's my glass. That's my yeah, and the other one is um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bread flour with uh, all-purpose flour and einkorn flour. Amazing. Uh, what flour? Einkorn. It's all wheat. That's it's the one that we had last time. Yeah. Iron corn. Einkorn. It's that all yeah. the grain. Okay. Yep. What, what is einkorn? It's like a, a type it's of like wheat. a super seed. Uh, it's a super yeah, seed. Okay, great. Like from back <laughs> in the day. Yeah, and, and rice also considered as an rice ancient crop. Rice also super seed. Oh wow. No. You know teff, which they used to make injera with. It's uh, also super food, super seed, and like apparently in Ethiopia they're protecting so that other countries don't grow it outside Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so that it, they have monopoly, like national monopoly. I mean, so that it's not like quinoa. Kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Grows right. Cool. Okay. Let's dig in. Yeah, this is better. We're gonna have the black bread. Mm. Wow. Marta, how many loaves of bread do you bake a week? One or two. And like, do you mm. eat this every day? No. You don't eat bread every day? No. What about you, Michal? I think I'm, I'm two times, two times a week. Mm. Mm. Oh wow, mm. I eat bread every day. Me too. Mm. I love bread. Me too. If I have... It's so nice with the charcoal. Mm -hmm. I love charcoal. Mm. In all sorts of forms. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I at the moment that I love carbon. I love bread. <laughs> mm. Why? I think I... I, I do. I think I It's my favorite <laughs> element. There are so many nice alternatives to wheat flour. Mm -hmm. And the flavors are very interesting. I bake with oat flour that I make myself, but it's only an addition. So I add like, uh, I don't know, 20%. Mm. It's very nice. Would you like to make your own flour, Martha? Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's next the next level. step. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to. A small balcony garden with a <laughs> <laughs> It would be more like a rooftop garden. Blending <laughs> all the green patches in the feedback. Actually, did you see the, the photos of that artist that in 71 planted? In New York. Yes, in yeah. New York. Yeah. It's this beautiful well, well, image of like the New York skyline yeah. and like a huge uh, wheat uh, field yeah. and her standing in the right. middle. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. With like in 70s. Yeah. I think it that was either, I, I think it was on the site where they were going to build the three towers or something like that. Yeah. Agnes Dines. Oh, Dines. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is, oh yeah, no, the, the Twin Towers were already there, so I guess this is Battery Park or something, but look. Yeah. No drones back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we don't know, but yeah. <clears throat> Do you think I could have more bread? Oh, yeah, sure.
The lockdown baking frenzy coincides with coming to terms that bread had long been the scapegoat of the dominant modes of food production. For some, baking bread may be seen as a change in societal metabolism, a counterweight to the galloping consumerism and the capitalism-driven infinite growth. Radical in its slowness, it's opposed to the yield and pace-oriented industrial baking. It might give a taste of self-sufficiency, but it also induces thinking about our interdependent food system and the provenance of food. By acquiring the capacity of baking bread, we acquire a certain level of independence on one hand, but on the other, we may more tangibly discern that its chief constituent, the flour, is a fruit of labor of many people. They saw, harvest, mill, and distribute. Thanks to dedicated seed keepers and farmers whose work is based on agroecology principles, many grain varieties are restored and cultivated, adding to biocultural diversity. They provide an alternative to the hybridized modern wheat grown in constant chemical input reliant monocultures. While bread's position may not be equally significant in all cultures, it has the potential of becoming a peculiar lingua franca. To me, it has become a way in which I connect with others finding so much in common. Tune in next week for the next episode of the Digital Salon Podcast, The Collective. To discover the archive behind this episode, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.org.